there's been this incredible rapid fire response, right? Because for all of us, these last 11 months have seemed like 11 years, but 11 months is a short time for these huge companies to turn around and create new stuff that 12 months ago was totally unheard of. So I think it's a remarkable testament, David, to you know the, the, the capabilities of the technology industry overall and the, and the good, good things that technology has done uh, in for all facets of our lives over the last 11 months. Connect, influence, optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to The Channel Channel. This is David Loftus, CEO of ECIA and host of this session of The Channel Channel, a podcast sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association, covering topics that are important for participants of the electronic supply chain. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Bob Evans, founder and principal of Evans Strategic Communications and creator of CloudWars, a unique site and service to rank and analyze the world's most influential tech companies and driving digital business and the digital economy. Bob has previously held executive positions with some of the industry's top cloud service providers, most recently as Chief Communications Officer for Oracle. Welcome, Bob. Hey, David, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for the chance to uh, have a conversation with you. Super, yeah, I hope that you and your family are staying safe in these uh, interesting times. Everybody's good here, David. Thanks so much, including a four-month-old granddaughter. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, you've had a great career with some of the top names in the business. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about your background? Sure. Dave, you know, it, it's funny here. You, uh, you know, your career in the electronics industry and your audience uh, from that sector, I consider myself, like through high school and college, one of the least technical people in the world. And somehow over the last uh, several decades since then, I've remained that way. So I'm not a technologist, but I've always been fascinated by the business and the extraordinary impact that it has on every facet of our lives. So I worked in the media business for a long time that covers the tech sector, trying to understand the business models and the impact on the world around us. And then David, about 10 or 12 years ago, um, I decided I wanted to get out of the media business and get into the tech business itself. So as you mentioned, I had worked at SAP for a year and about uh, almost five years at Oracle. That was great. And then I wanted to start a couple of my own companies, which I've done, but I continue to be fascinated by the tech industry and observing the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows. And it seems like every time, like, well, there can't be any new stuff coming. There, there's always something new. It's a lot of fun. This business is great fun. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hey, so, um, before we dig into your business, I, I guess just love to hear what you do for fun. Any hobbies, unique interests, especially while we're all sequestered due to COVID? <laughs> uh, hey, David, I'd say it's funny. Now, this is one of those things that uh, I, I think we have to, um, you know, be very open-minded on the, your definition of fun. Because one of the things that, uh, you know, my wife and I, uh, uh, eight or nine years ago, we, we bought a house on Lake Erie. It's a phenomenal place to be up there on the on the Great Lakes, but they are, uh, Lake Erie is an, uh, it is not a friendly uh, 
you know, neighbor for six or eight months of the year and Lake Erie will take what you don't protect. So um, I think what I've spent a ton of time over the last few years doing is, you know, a seawall out in front here, because I know eventually, Dave, I know who's going to win this battle and it's not me. But if I can just push that, uh, push that decision off for, uh, you know, a couple more decades, that'll be great. So a lot of fun up at Lake Erie with family and kids, but I am a little bit like the old man in the sea trying to uh, prevent the inevitable. Well, I grew up in Cincinnati and that was a lot more tame, I understand, than <laughs> up on the lake. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Hey, so let, let's do dig in a little bit on your business and on Cloud Wars. Um, on your website, you rank the top 10 most influential businesses in the digital economy. I'm really curious, how do you come up with your ranking? David, you know, for years, um, there were sort of a way of looking at companies, which was just, you know, purely by revenue, right? And, you know, there was the Fortune 500 and the Forbes this and, you know, other things like that. And revenue certainly plays a big part in what I do at CloudWars, but it's not the only thing, right? Because in new industries, and you've seen it over and over in the electronics industry, is the electronics industry remakes itself and is a constant source of innovation and great new things. The early days in a market are defined by the industry. And at some point, that tipping point occurs and the customers then begin to take hold of it. So I wanted to get a little bit early on this redefinition of the cloud, less so about all these four letter acronyms that the industry loves to churn out and instead to look at it from the point of view of the customers and how are they finding greater opportunities for innovation to do new things, to grow, to thrive, to succeed on the strength of these cloud technologies. So. A big part of uh, the, the rankings, David, is how well do these manuf uh, technology companies adapt what they're doing and how they're doing it to the needs of the outside marketplace? And it seems very obvious, but man, for a long time in the tech industry, uh, it is not. And, and so that, that little bubble think that occurs can seal off sometimes the, the big cloud companies from what's actually going on in the world. But the intense competition from these trillion dollar companies at the top, uh, all the way down through these specialized software companies, it's really sharpened the competitive edge in the marketplace. So I think everybody has come around more to that notion of we've got to do what customers want and need, not just what is cool in our laboratories. Yeah. Uh, the, and I guess that this pandemic has really um, shown it's a dynamic space. It's obviously got explosive growth, but uh, I, I guess, how do you think that the pandemic has accelerated what's all, what was already a booming market? And uh, yeah, and David, you know, in some ways, I really despise that line about don't let a good crisis go to waste. But, <laughs> you know, in, um, at some level though, there, there's something to this. I think that the, uh, the tech industry overall and certainly the companies in the Cloud Wars top 10 were heroic in, you know, what went on over the past 11 months. I mean, think of it, uh, it what if, you know, every company, a shoe company, an insurance company, a trucking company, uh, an airline company, what if every one of them 11 months ago had, had to come up with their own video communication system and get that out into the hands of, you know, hundreds of millions, billions of employees around the world, you know, it, it would have been disaster. So, the technology industry surged into this. I think the way a company like Zoom was able to scale. Then with the companies closer to what I do, uh, you, you had Salesforce. They 
you know, before February of last year, they weren't thinking about doing a get back to work safely application. Uh, Workday now, the the CEO at Workday and Neil Bushri, he said one of their their key things over the past year has been, we're going to make our applications much more focused on employee wellness and well-being of employees and help Mm -hmm. companies take more of an active role in that. So there's been this incredible rapid fire response, right? Because for all of us, these last 11 months have seemed like 11 years, but 11 months is a short time for these huge companies to turn around and create new stuff that 12 months ago was totally unheard of. So I think it's a remarkable testament, David, to you know the, the, the capabilities of the technology industry overall and the, and the good, good things that technology has done uh, in for all facets of our lives over the last 11 months. So I, I guess you say 11, 11 months seems like 11 years. I would agree with that. <laughs> Have recent trends shaken up your list a bit? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I get asked on a couple of things, um, David. One is ServiceNow was number nine, right? ServiceNow will, they're on about a $5 billion revenue run rate. But they have started to do things, right? right? They've, they've really embraced speed and speed to innovation, speed to value is one of the things that they can do, they think, uh, as well as anybody. And then they give this gift of speed to their customers. That, that's their promise. Hmm. So you hear customers talking about, wow, I was able to use some of these tools from ServiceNow or others to do things in weeks that would have taken quarters only a year ago. So this, this squeezing of time has happened quite, uh, quite profoundly. You get another company like uh, IBM. I, I, I think IBM is one of the greatest corporations that's ever existed. They have phenomenal people in technology, but they, they seem to be lost. Uh, they are trying to become a new age company that's, you know, and building their own future on the one side. And on the other hand, they are dragging behind them some of these old clunky just sort of out of uh, another era businesses that prevent IBM from putting its full force and power behind what it needs to do in the future. So IBM has dropped down a little bit because their internal challenges are preventing them from moving at the speed of their customers and embracing these new challenges like these companies that in a matter of months came out with uh, new applications about, you know, vaccinations, back to work safely, uh, you know, how to work from home, how to balance those things. So it, it, it's been extraordinary. And I, I have seen some pretty big shifts in there of companies moving up and down. But it's, it's really, I think, David, the one, the key to the ones going up has been their ability to lock in with what their customers want and need and deliver that at the speed at which the customers want that. that that's been the differentiator. That, that's super. And I guess your comment about IBM is really topical on my next question. I was going to ask you, oh, you've got Microsoft at number one. Certainly Microsoft had uh, ha- has a similar amount of legacy businesses that they're dragging along, but somehow Nadella has transformed that company, brought out Azure, and they're just uh, going gangbusters. Yeah, David, I think it was... Um last week that he, uh, Sachin Nadell, hit his eight-year anniversary at Microsoft as CEO. And he's been there for, I think, 30 years or so. 
But he came in and I think, um, you know, you watch him talk and you look at him and he seems like, you know, a mild mannered guy. He, he speaks in this very educated, eloquent voice and uh, he's very uh, personal in his approach to things. But when he came in there, he kicked the crap out of that company. Right. And he made it very clear from the outset eight years ago. He said, the world is moving in this direction. We have spent too much time with the last several years at Microsoft banging heads with each other, competing internally, burning up too much energy inside. And we've got to refocus that energy on the outside world. So he was ruthless in organizing, reorganizing, organizing, reorganizing, changing the company till he got the right fuel mix to match up with what was going on in the outside world. And you know, in the cloud business specifically, Amazon, which is a, a terrific company in their AWS unit, um, every, you know, they created the category of cloud infrastructure and swipe a credit card. It's all you have to do. They, they've done a great job. But Microsoft's cloud business is 30% bigger than Amazon's, right? There's, there's amazing financially, there's no question. Microsoft's head and shoulders. Google cloud business plus Amazon cloud business is still not as big as the Microsoft cloud business. Hmm. So it's a matter of perception and looking at it. And that's again, did one of those things from the customer's point of view, Microsoft's the big, the big cheese from mm -hmm. a lot of analysts and the media folks that mouth it, they'd say, you know, Amazon's the king of the cloud. Well, they are in a slice, but the bigger slice that customers are focusing on now, Microsoft is leading the way. And David, it's really, really fascinating to watch Nadella on these earnings calls or any public presentation. Microsoft does a better job of anybody of putting the customer at the center of the discussion over and over and over again. And I think a lot of the other companies are still stuck with themselves at the middle of it. And they've got to make that move to put the customer there or else they're going to miss out on opportunities. And that's a, that's a great point. Your mention of Amazon and uh, the kind of organizational changes that yeah. have been going on at Microsoft with uh, Jeff Bezos's recent announcement. Any idea on changes that might, we might see with their business model? Well, David, it's interesting, right? You know, again, this extraordinary thing that uh, what, I think it was 27 years that Bezos was the CEO of that company and the growth, the changes, the you know, the maneuverings that have gone on there. I, I don't imagine that Jeff Bezos was a Monday through Friday, 40 hour a week guy. So, you know, he's doing 27 years of a hundred hour weeks uh, at one of the biggest, most observed under scrutiny companies, you know, the world's ever seen. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's remarkable that he was able to do that for 27 years. So inside Amazon, there's three units. They break it out as North America, sort of the rest of the world and AWS, their cloud unit. And of those three, AWS accounts for 12% of Amazon's total revenue. Yet mm -hmm. when Bezos needed to pick a replacement, he went to the guy that contributes on the one hand, you could say only 12%. I mean, it was $45 billion in 2020, but he picked the guy that I think Bezos believes understands the forces of business across the globe in different ways. And that's Andy Jassy from AWS. So I think it was in some ways a remarkable choice. And in other ways, it you can sort of see there's a logic to it because this guy really gets where the digital economy is headed. So slightly different angle, you've got Salesforce at number three and uh, CRM and customer management's not new. I guess as much as our 
uh, our audience uses or at least interfaces with Salesforce, how do you think they've climbed so quickly? They're not the traditional business model of, of offering just uh, uh, you know blank slate of cloud services like AWS and Microsoft. Absolutely, Dave. No, that's a, that's a great point. And again, I think um, you know I, the Cloud Wars Top Ten is a little bit untraditional because I, you know when I started doing it, everybody said you can't mix a infrastructure player with a platform player with a applications player. And I was thinking, okay, from a straight industry point of view, you're right, but I'm doing it from the customer in, not from the industry out. So the customers are looking at these folks. And the reason that I had Salesforce up there so high was there's something quite tangible about what Salesforce's products are and what they've done. And, you know, Mark Benioff's public conversations over the last four or five years have been, you know, where he talks about I had this conversation with the CEO of a company in the consumer packaged goods industry or the travel industry, the insurance, financial services, you know, all over the place. And, he, and those people were telling him, we have to change how we do business. And Salesforce is helping us do that. So he had these references from some remarkable global companies about saying that with the Salesforce's applications, we were able to change how we do business. We were able to change our understanding of customers, the data that we need to have top of mind to let, you know, to help those companies then make themselves into what they need to be in the future. So it was the capability of Salesforce to help change companies' culture, their business models, and so on, that pushed them up. Uh, they were in the number um, three spot for quite a while. And just recently, within the last month or two, I think it was the beginning of January, Google Cloud, I moved Google Cloud up to the number three spot and Salesforce down to number four. And it was not so much a demotion of Salesforce, but a recognition that Google Cloud is doing an even better job of changing what, uh, of giving customers the ability to change what they do and how they do it. Interesting. You know, an interesting side note also is uh, I saw a news article this morning that Salesforce has said that their employees can all work remotely forever. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a real testament. They practice what they preach. <laughs> yeah. David, and isn't it funny, you know, what, what you said there, right? Because absolutely, they've created these applications to help people get back to work safely. But the other thing over the last, I don't know, five to seven years, part of the Salesforce branding has been in major cities, certainly across the US and increasingly around the world, the tallest building in these big cities or one of the tallest buildings would be a Salesforce tower with their logo across the top. So Mark Benioff, I think, you know, that was part of his genius. In that world, that's what he did, but the, the world has changed. So here's a software company that helps customers adapt to the new realities of the world. And I think, uh, you know, he, they wanted to drink their own champagne there, right? And he said, well, there's a different thing. So yeah, we've got all these big towers that might, you know, be half filled, uh, not nearly the capacity that they would have thought a year ago, but I've got to do this for employees. It, it, it's remarkable. Dave, can I mention one other thing? Because you, you asked it sure. a minute ago about these legacy companies, right? And it's so interesting to think of, you know, something like in, in, in sports, I'm going to say, oh, so-and-so is 32 years old, you know, oh, sort of getting old and creaky, you know? It's a, it's a matter of perspective, but you've got um, Microsoft, as, as you said, kind of like an old legacy company, certainly not cloud native. They're doing a phenomenal job. Google Cloud was uh, up until two years ago, they were struggling. 
they hired Thomas Curian from Oracle, certainly an old world company to come in and run it. Google Cloud has surged. ServiceNow, one of the hottest, highest flying software companies, right? $5 billion revenue run rate, but their market cap is $115 billion. Wow. Well, who is the CEO who has really, you know, he doubled their, their uh, market cap in, in less than a year. It's Bill McDermott, who came from SAP, another old world company. So um, this easy tendency to say the old world, the old guard cannot adapt to the new world, I think is being disproven here. It, it has no bearing on where somebody's been. It's on how much will and leadership, uh, how much the leadership is going to take the will and the mindset that says we need to change. We need to change rapidly, quickly. We need to be an agile group that moves as fast as the market around us. So I, I just think that's been a fascinating dynamic within this uh, cloud worst top 10. Fantastic. I, I guess I you, you mentioned Google Cloud there and I'm amazed with the explosive revenue growth and um, an opportunity out there that not, not everybody's making huge profits yet. Google Cloud, while they've achieved record revenue, they were 13 billion in 2020, 47% growth year to year, but they lost $5.6 billion. Yeah. yeah, I'd imagine that's gotta be because of heavy investment that it takes to compete. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I was looking at that, uh, David, as it came out and I, I was thinking now either they've got to, uh, you know, take the heat for being inefficient and how they're running their business, or maybe there's a story inside this. So as I dug into some of those numbers, one, the, the uh, sort of the burn rate, I guess, if you know, you could use that term here of what they're going through, it's definitely coming down. And in the last two years, they're uh, from 2018 to 2020, they're revenue has gone up 124%. But the loss over that time has gone up 29%. So all, you know, four and a half times greater revenue spike than the last spike. So the lines are going in the proper direction for them. But you know, Dave, do you think about that too? There these trillion dollar, uh, this trillion dollar group, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, you know, that are spending these ungodly amounts. And there is a threshold that Google Cloud has to spend to get in to be able to play with that. And that's where I think these big losses are coming from. They've also, you know, uh, one of the first things Thomas Curran said when he took over CEO, he said, we've got phenomenal technology, but we, we are wildly undersized in our sales organization. So he said two years ago, we're going to have to triple the size of the sales organization. There in the midst of that, he said, we're a little bit ahead of target to have that done by the end of this year. But as you know, from your great career, there's a cost to uh, not just hiring, you know, anybody with a pulse to come in and get it, but world-class salespeople to do this. Right. And then the partner ecosystem that goes along with that. So I, I think they are, they're, um, they're doing a phenomenal job. The competition, the day, the competitive pressure they'll put on Microsoft and Amazon is going to make Microsoft and Amazon better. And the big winners really in the cloud wars with all this is going to be the customers because you get to pick from among these companies that are pushing the heck out of each other. Um, it is going to bring great, great business value to the customers in this. Yeah, and I'll tell you, our audience, as you know, is made up of electronic components, manufacturers and mm -hmm. distributors at the channel. So uh, we're, we're very happy to 
be the recipients yes. of some of the investments that a lot of these guys are making. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, so you you spent some time at Oracle. They're obviously in your top 10. You've talked to, uh, we've talked a bit about Larry Ellison and uh, how he's had such a long run of success. Is he, any thoughts on, uh, on how he's been able to evolve the company? Well, you know, I, I had an incredible privilege to work very closely with him for a while. And um, I often, after meeting with Larry, I'd have to go somewhere to sort of <laughs> a quiet spot, David, and, and just sit. And because uh, what he, he was saying, he makes your head spin so fast. And I just had to go try to, uh, you know, decompress a little bit, absorb that, you know, what he was saying, how he had said it, when did he say it, and uh, just the range of the intellect there was astonishing. And um, I just think what Larry's been able to do at Oracle, right? Because the new, the new mountain he's climbing, Oracle's by no means a little company or a, a, you know, a, a poor company. They've, they are, they're incredibly financially strong. But there's a scale of a company, you know, about $40 billion in revenue, and their market cap, I think, is in the range of $170 billion or so. They're 10 times smaller than the market cap of Microsoft, the market cap of Amazon, and you know, only eight times smaller than Google. But he is taking them on in the infrastructure business because he said, no, there's a better way to do this. There is a deeper, uh, more modern, more innovative way to do cloud infrastructure. And it's one thing for somebody to say that, but over the last two or three quarters, right, the growth rates for their infrastructure business have been in triple digits. So Larry plays the long game, right? And he, he sort of eyes up the landscape and he says, okay, that's what's going on now, but what will be happening in a couple of years and how do I reset the competitive balance in favor of the stuff that I am best able to do? So there will be a fourth, very, very worthy competitor in that group with the trillion dollar companies, even though it's eight or 10 times smaller than them, because he's going on sheer innovation, vision, and a lot of guts. It's fascinating to see, but he's done this sort of thing before and he's won. So anybody wants to bet against him, I would take that bet. Yeah, amazing guy. And you talked about the 100 hour weeks that Bezos has worked. Larry Ellison is exactly the same way. And he has time for his hobbies. He imagine the amount of time that it, takes him to invest in, in sailing and his other outside ventures. Yeah. Really interesting. David, can I mention one anecdote about that? And, and I sure. think it's, I think it's very telling, right. About the industry that, you know, uh, you've been a part of all your life, the industry group, you know, ECIA that you're heading. So, um, it, with what, what Larry's done with sailing in the Americas comes about 10 years ago, right? He was, he was, he was starting to get into this or getting closer, getting close, not quite there. He was at one meeting, right? Cause they did, uh, they had lost in some recent trials. It was very frustrating. And he said, you know, I'm really tired of this losing thing. And he said, what are some ideas? So he had all sorts of big brains in this, this room and different ideas. And finally somebody said, well, I heard about this, you know, uh, fixed wing sale idea. And, you know, Larry's head snaps up. He said, tell me about that. He said, well, it's very unstable. It's, it's, it's very dangerous. He said, is it fast? Oh yeah, it's real fast. He said, good, go work on it. Go build me one. 
so they come back with a prototype and uh then i said yeah he said oh it's and the guy saying it's really unstable it's risky it's it's hard to control and i says is it fast said, oh yeah it's real fast i said build build the next double the size of it. but larry nobody's ever I, just, just go better you'll be fine so they come back the next one saying you know they keep focused on the risk he's focusing on the speed so uh finally you know they say we're going to do this and i says build one that's i forget 90 feet tall and they said, but Larry, nobody's ever done that before. And he said, that's the point. He said, nobody's ever done it. We'll have one. They won't. And he said, guys, he said, get over this. Just worry about what might happen. And let's focus more on what we can achieve. So I, I think, uh, and he did it. He did it when nobody else was thinking about that sort of thing. And David, maybe there's more of a need in the world today for more business leaders to think about what is possible and push their will and their vision about, you know, let's get over the fear because the world's changing so fast in so many ways. Let's be the people that are out in front helping to do that. Fantastic. You've um, had the opportunity to be able to interview a lot of the leaders that we're talking about. Um, in fact, I made the comment, you could probably teach us a lot about podcasts. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, I guess, anything in these interviews with these really revolutionary leaders that has surprised you? Uh, in some ways, David, you know, it comes down, the, the surprising thing has been their willingness to push down uh, the, the sort of the traditional desire to make it all about either me or my company or what I do. And instead, um, it is so much the leaders here, the top CEOs in the, the, the computer industry, the tech industry, the cloud industry, whatever you want to call it, they singularly focus on customers. They are, they talk about customers first, they talk about them in the middle, they talk about them last. And they are then able to you know, step across that gap, right, where they can stand us thwart two things. One, the remarkable people in the laboratories creating this stuff and the passion that they have to create new things, but also saying, we've got to take that energy and drive it toward what people want, what they need. And the, the gap of what pe people want and need and, and the emergence of these uh, new needs and new desires, it is shrinking. I mean, as the future comes toward us faster than ever before. How do you harness the power of these incredible innovators inside your company to the increasingly fast-paced changes outside of it? So I think that is the one unique thing of the very top people in the world. They are able to see the world through the eyes of their customers and adapt then the incredible uh, technological, innovative, creative resources within their company to align with those fast-changing needs. Neat. Hey, um, maybe one last question. I've, I've sure. heard you speak about value of co-creation and co-innovation, really interesting thoughts. And uh, I guess in general, do you think that the speed of innovation is increasing in the industry? Yeah, Dave, one example, and it, it's, it's not so much in the industry, but it's the, uh, the, the implications or the ramifications of this. I was talking with a guy who's the CIO at one of the biggest hospitals in Boston, right? And they, they manage things throughout uh, New England. And he said, we were doing some trials before uh, COVID with telemedicine. He said, everybody wanted to do it, or they said they wanted to do it. But he said, we were doing, you know, in the system, maybe uh, 
400, 500 of these a day. And he said, you know, we thought, okay, that's just, that's it. That's what will hit. And, and uh, three months into the pandemic, they were doing 8,000 a day. And he said, if you had asked me a month before, could we scale from five, four, 500 to 8,000 in three months? He said, I would have said it's impossible, but he said, it's not. And he said, there were so many technology company players who stepped up to make this possible, right? From the network companies, the security companies, the software companies, server companies, uh, you know, on and on service providers in there. And I think for your, your uh, industry, David, that, you know, the ECIA, there's going to be stuff that, that we can't imagine, we can't fathom this right now. As you get intelligence crammed into everything from oil wells to airplanes to food to, you know, stinky gym clothes are gonna tell you, yeah, you better eat a little more of this or that. Everything is gonna be wired up for intelligence. And I think the opportunity for, you know, your industry to get in on that and it, yeah, it's gonna move faster than ever before, but the opportunities are gonna be bigger because all that stuff's gonna be interconnected. People are gonna be wanting to look at this for various reasons. And I, I just think 21 is gonna be a great year and this whole, this whole decade is gonna be mind boggling. So uh, yeah, I think speed of innovation is gonna be uh, surging year after year after year. Well, we look forward to that. And that's a fantastic way to wrap up our talk today. Thanks so much for your time and insights today, Bob. Great it conversation. Wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much for the chance to share some ideas. Absolutely. Hey, I encourage all of our listeners to check out the site, cloudwars.co. Uh, also, you can sign up for Bob's newsletter. It has over 12,000 subscribers. Um, check out his podcast, really fantastic interviews with a lot of the leaders of our industry. Uh, I'd like everyone to know that Bob is considering joining us for our executive conference in Chicago. Hope that all of us will be able to come together in person in October. So that's a wrap for today. I hope you'll all join us for our next Channel Channel interview. Thanks so much for your time to join today's podcast. And we hope all of you and your families are staying safe.